Happy Thursday. Welcome into NSN Daily. Chris Murray, Anthony Resnick driving behind the scenes. I'm Brian Samudio. A lot to get to today. Tucker Bone, midfielder from Reno 1868 FC, will join us on the show talking about his time at the Air Force Academy and uh, how this season's rolling along. Uh, we'll go through the third of three pieces by Chris Murray on our website, nevadasportsnet.com. Uh, this on the top high school special teamers to come out of Northern Nevada. Bet or no bet is about a baseball card. And those of us who have collected baseball cards, maybe you're hoping something's worth a couple hundred bucks. This one's, this one's worth a little bit more than that. And we've got a Reno Media Golf Tour show that's coming up. We've got throwback Raider games that are going to be on the air to tell you about. Barracuda has set a date, so a lot to get to in today's show. But, uh, Chris, this came out late yesterday. We were hoping November 10th was kind of that day that we were going to be circling for, for basketball, and we thought that, you know, okay, that's the one. Okay, we're going to get back out on the court. But, uh, you know, a report came out Wednesday that uh, that's probably not going to happen yet. Yes, yeah, CBS Sports reported that the uh, target date for the NCAA start for men's and women's basketball is going to be November 25th. Now, nothing official there. Um, the vote actually won't happen until sometime around September 16th when the Division One Council actually meets and would make a ruling on this. That's kind of always been the trigger point for when there'd be an official start date for college basketball. Uh, the official start date was November 10th. Nevada was scheduled to play an exhibition game November 5th, so that's the first time they actually would have hit the court in public. But sounds like everything's going to be pushed back at least two weeks. It sounds like that November 25th date is what everybody kind of agreed to. Uh, the Pac-12 was hoping for a little bit of a later date. They already went out and said they're not going to play any sports for the rest of 2020, but it sounds like they're open to potentially playing in December, and I think they were targeting a December 5th date. So, um, you know, nothing official, but in two weeks it should be official, and it should be, uh, you know, starting the season quite a bit later than everybody anticipated. Not a huge shock there. I mean, obviously everybody would have loved if we got a full college basketball season in, but didn't seem realistic with what happened with the fall sports. And so now we're starting to see the trickle down effect with the winter sports. And at this point, you're probably looking at a November 25th start and you could very well be looking at just conference games as well. Obviously Nevada has a complete non-conference schedule set, uh, including about eight games before that uh, the November 25th date, including uh, a tournament that was supposed to be held in the Grand Cayman Islands, which was moved to Florida. So uh, I would not be surprised if it was more just like a 20 or 22 conference uh, game season for all of these conferences rather than trying to do non-conference games and fly across the country and things of that nature. So, yeah, some bad news if you're a Wolfpack basketball fan that the season might be pushed back a little bit later than we start. But um, I don't think anybody would be shocked if that's the end result, just because I don't think anybody really expected there to be a full 30-game season this year. 2020 has taken so much from us, and a trip back to the Grand Cayman is what I was really hoping for this year, was to be able to go down there and cover that tournament. Alex got to go to what the Virgin Islands last year. I was hoping to get to go to Grand Cayman this year, and that's not going to happen. But it doesn't surprise me at all. It really doesn't. I hope that there's conference games, at least conference games. And even if you have a conference tournament that only has four teams in it, if you can do that, I don't, I don't even know how you're going to do that. But um, it's interesting because these guys are still working out. It's just like football. They're still working out. They're trying to, to be as, as honed as they can be. But in basketball, the, the coaches don't get a lot of time weekly to get their hands on the players. And that's some of the other issues that they have to sort out right now. Each coach is allowed four hours of work with his team. So you can break that down and do individual work uh, and you can, you know, do it, you know, four one hour sessions as a full team. So there are a bunch of different templates there, but they got to figure out when the shackles will kind of be taken off. And you can't do that until you actually 
calendar because it's usually backdated from that time. And that's why the September 16th date is important and why they were kind of targeting that is because then that would kind of format the rest of the schedule. Uh, they have to talk about whether there are going to be conference tournaments or whether, uh, you know, the season will just be regular season and you don't want to risk trying to get all these people in one uh, place for a conference tournament. Obviously, at-large berths and automatic berths depend on whether you have a conference tournament. Game minimums are usually a minimum number of games you need to play in a season to be eligible to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, I know the NCAA tournament has already trademarked some uh, language in terms of playing uh, a bubble in the bracket kind of deal. So, uh, you know, there's still a lot to be determined for sure. And these guys are working out. I think if you're a Wolfpack fan, just kind of assume you're not going to see any sports in 2020, 21. Yeah. Be pleasantly surprised if you do get it. Uh, you know, obviously football wants to play uh, in the spring and all that kind of stuff. You know, basketball hasn't been moved back all officially yet. But I think if you just take the mindset that, you know, we're probably not going to see any sports this year. Uh, and then if it does happen, really cool. You get to go out there and maybe see your team play a little bit. But um, it just, you know, things have not looked great on that front. And, uh, you know, we are going to see some FBS football pretty soon with the other conferences decided to play this fall. But if you take that mindset, I think uh, no expectations going into it and just allow yourself to be pleasantly surprised if things do work out. Switching over to Nevada football, uh, Nevada head football coach Jane Orvell, uh, always pretty active on Twitter. You see him on social media, which is which is neat. You can kind of get an insight into a coach. He tweeted out this morning, uh, and this is disappointing, they had to cancel practice for the fifth time in the last two weeks because of poor air quality. Of course, the smoke that's coming over the hill. Uh, we need an indoor facility that could not only be used by Nevada athletics, but benefit the entire Reno sports community, including high school programs. Chris, this has been the elephant in the room for 20 years at the University of Nevada. It is needed, but at the same time, I don't know how you can afford it. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at minimum $15 million. The original plan probably going back six years ago when you uh, and our students got to vote on whether they would fund a part of an indoor facility in addition to the fitness center, which is completely done on campus, um, you know, kind of called for about a $28 million facility. I don't think they're going anywhere in that range at this point because they've been struggling to get the kind of money to do it. It really needs to be a lead donor has to step up with five to seven million dollars and I think that would spark the rest of the the process because then you can go out to people and say you know we've got a good chunk we've got naming rights we can get some money from the students uh can we move forward with a smaller donation maybe half a million dollars from you know 10 individuals to try and complete the project I mean I don't see it happening honestly I mean the econ economy is obviously going to go through a rough period in the short term here, uh, you know, I've been covering this program since 2002 uh, and they've always wanted it. So it, it makes complete sense why you need it uh, for situations like this or for situations where it's snowing outside or for situations over the summer where it's 100 degrees and you don't want your kids out in that for, for three hours. Um, it's certainly much needed because even when Nevada moved into the Mountain West in 2012, all of the other cold weather schools in the conference already had that facility, whether you're talking about Utah State Wyoming, Colorado State, Boise State. I mean, you can just go down the list, uh, you know, and Nevada hasn't had that. And I think that plays a big part in recruiting, uh, you know, even more so maybe than just being able to practice because you're probably only talking about a handful of practices that are actually going to be affected by conditions like the smoke or the weather. Um, I think it's just a selling point to recruits to say, we care about football here. Look at this mm -hmm. that we've invested. The community invested in this, the university invested in this, the state invested in this. Uh, and, you know, when you come here, football is going to be important. If you don't have that facility and you're playing outside on the intramural fields, which is what Nevada does at Wolfpack Park, 
I think it's maybe a little bit harder to make that case. So uh, there's been some uh, ground gained in terms of uh, facilities. You see a practice facility for basketball and, uh, you know, Mackey Stadium obviously has undergone a lot of renovations in the last few years, but uh, they, they simply lack probably the most important facility you can have outside of your stadium and football, and that's the indoor practice facility. And I want to make it clear that the, that, that the facility that they're wanting to build is not just strictly football. It is an athletic facility that, I mean, plans that I've seen and ideas that I've seen kicked around, there is an indoor track inside. Uh, there's a chance where, you know, you could have youth soccer teams come in and play. You could have, you know, field hockey and some of these other teams that want to come in and play and lacrosse. Uh, you, you use it as a facility that on the weekends, before a game, people can go inside and tailgate. I saw that at Boise State where – People were literally having a wedding on one half of the field, and on the other side, it was two or three hundred tables, and it was packed with people. So it's something that you know it can work, but right now, I just I don't see how Nevada, just as an economy, is in the position to to even think about it. Had it been done when the iron was 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 ready to be struck, you know, maybe they'd be in a different there next to Mackey Stadium, but uh, yeah, it's 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 on the Santa wish list. But uh, I don't think I don't think Santa's bringing it this year. Uh, twenty twenty just going to be delivering us coal. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, we'll chat with Tucker Bone, midfielder from Reno eighteen sixty eight FC. That's us. Welcome back into NSN Daily. It's been an exciting uh, season for Reno 1868 FC. And uh, joining us right now, uh, Tucker Bone, uh, joining us from his quarantine headquarters, his back cave, wherever that may be. Uh, Tucker, you know, after the start of this season, um, it was a thud against Sac Republic to start the season. But this team has caught fire. You guys are having fun. You can tell that there's just there's an it factor going on right now. Tell me about this momentum and how this wave has just continued. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been great. Um, it was like you described. It was a little bit slow uh, starting off. Um, I think uh, you know after quarantine, uh, guys were a little bit uh, mentally not as prepared as they were towards the beginning of the season. Right? It was a it's a weird time for everybody. And uh, you know, same for us uh, professionals. You know, I think everybody was mentally. Uh, exhausted and uh, changing gears took a little bit. Um, our system, we were just starting to perfect at the beginning of, uh, at the beginning of the season before uh, quarantine. And uh, once we got back and we kind of remembered, uh, you know, how it worked and, uh, you know, we really got into it, started uh, trusting each other, building that chemistry, man, it's, uh, it's, it's been honestly really great. Um, get being, a, uh, having to be a part of this team and, you know, contributing to our success thus far. You played for the Colorado Springs USL team last year. It's kind of in your neck of the woods coming from uh, the Air Force Academy. What made you want to come out yes. to Reno and play with and Russell, get a little bit closer to home from uh, your, your house out in Granite Bay? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, I think the change of scene definitely played a part in my decision. Um, being out in Colorado Springs the past uh, five years was, uh, was, was a great experience. Um, it's where I got to uh, have a great college experience. And uh, that first uh, few months as a, as a professional with the uh, switchbacks. Um, but I thought the, uh, the change of scene and just the um, kind of what, uh, what San Jose and, and uh, you know, Reno and, and Ian had to say about, uh, you know, me as a player and, uh, you know, the potential I had, it just kind of, it's, it sold me there. So, um, you know, I've been very happy so far, you know, can't complain. So. 
Tucker Bone with Reno 1868 uh, joining us here on NSN Daily. Tucker, you went to high school, a Jesuit high school, very, very prominent high school in the Sacramento area down in Carmichael. You end up going to the Air Force Academy. And I can't, I don't know why you would choose that place. It's such an ugly campus. I mean, it's very, very tiny. I know. It is gorgeous. It is a beautiful campus. The B-52 greets you as you come in. Falcon Stadium is awesome. Uh, but I don't think people understand, when you say college experience, uh, that's like going to West Point. That's like, uh, you know, going to Annapolis. It's the, it's, it is more than an experience, man. I, tell me just what was an average day like when you're, when you're at the Air Force Academy? Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely different. And uh, like you said, it's, it's more than an experience. It's, uh, it, it was a huge life, life change for sure. Uh, but, you know, once, once you kind of get going and you meet the people there and you make those uh, relationships, it makes it a lot easier. So, you know, getting through your average day, yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it can be tough at times, but, right, you're going to rely on those people you made those relationships with. But uh, you're waking up anywhere from, you know, five in the morning to seven in the morning to, uh, to, to start, you know, either get an early workout in or, um, you know, kind of get your day going before things start. But you're going to start off with like a morning formation, uh, fall out into your hallway, make sure your uniform's on correct. And then you're going to go from there to breakfast. Um, and classes are going to start around, I think it was probably seven thirty. Yeah. It's been, it's been a little bit now. They've their ch uh, schedule changes year to year, but yeah, classes are going to start anywhere from like seven to seven thirty, And then, uh, from there as an athlete, you're going to take all your classes in the morning. And so you're not going to have any time to rest until lunch. And then you're, you know, you're going to sit at lunch for about, uh, 30 minutes or so there's a huge dining hall we have that feeds all um all the cadets at once for lunch uh you're sitting at your designated table with your squad time with those individuals and then the rest of the afternoon you're going to spend with your team so you're going to go from there down to the the locker room start to get ready for practice uh see your athletic trainer if there's anything you need to do before practice before practice begins and then uh yeah head straight out to training usually wait right after that and then after that there's going to be a, a meal for the athletes uh down there uh typically if not then you're going to come back up to uh to the the dining facility we call it mitchell hall um and they'll have a uh, dinner prepared for you and then from there you're going to head back to your room by then it's already about eight o'clock eight thirty, sometimes even nine at the latest and uh you got to get in at least two hours of studying get your homework done and you know basically prepare for your next day um, preparation's big at the academy. You know, they preach that always being prepared, prepared for anything that comes your way. So yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty busy cycle, especially, uh, you know, from the day to day in, uh, when you're in season, it's pretty, it gets pretty wild sometimes. So. You were a two-time All-American there, uh, at the Air Force and, uh, the, you know, 20th pick of the 2019 MLS Super Draft. There's usually a military component to post-graduation, uh, when you're with the Air Force, the Navy, the Army. Um, I guess, where do you stand in terms of that? Uh, it seems like they've been able to allow you to continue your career, um, you know, with, I guess, service down in the future. Yeah, yeah. So I was, um, I sought out a, a unique program that the Air Force offers. Actually, a few of the other services offer it as well. And they, uh, they designated as the uh, World Class Athlete Program. So the, the WCAP is what we call it. And uh, that program has enabled me to right, continue my career past, uh, you know, past my education before uh, 
going into my, uh, my, action, my um, full-time job, which would be a pilot. So we call it an AFSC. And uh, that, uh, that would be pilot for me. But in the meantime, I got into this special program. So luckily I'm able to serve uh, um, active duty time while being in this program. Of course, once this uh, program is up, then I will be headed to, uh, headed to pilot training. So for these first few years, it's been, uh, it's been a great opportunity for sure to be able to continue my career, yes. Tucker Bone with Reno 1868 FC joining us here on NSN Daily. Tucker, one last thing before we let you go. Reno 1868 has already won a championship this year, and I don't know how much bragging Corey Herzog does in the locker room about winning the NSN Beer Pong Championship earlier this summer. <laughs> he won the trophy. He yeah. broke the trophy as he was celebrating. He actually broke the trophy. Has he said anything about that? <laughs> I mean, Corey's a great dude, but, I mean, it sounds like he might be throwing yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, no, Corey's, Corey's a great, uh, great guy. He's a great personality to have. Uh, especially in the locker room, you know, he's a, he's a veteran. He's done several years in the, uh, in the MLS and uh, has done very well in the USL. And um, he's, he's been a big mentor for a lot of our younger players, uh, including myself. And, uh, you know, I, I look up to him and, you know, I think he, he really is, he is that glue sort of a way that kind of holds this team together and uh, has really helped our success both on and off the field. Uh, staying mentally tough and all that good stuff. But uh, no, yeah, he's, he's definitely a character. He's a funny guy. Um, he was telling us about the, uh, about the tournament. And, uh, I think a few of us were watching in on that, uh, that, uh, that little bit over quarantine, I believe it was. So yeah, no, he's a, he's a funny dude for sure. I did want to ask you about sushi. So you got in your bio that you love sushi and you're in Reno, which is the all you can eat sushi capital of the world. Not a lot of places have that. So <laughs> what's been your favorite place in town and how, how much do you look forward yeah. to you can eat? Yeah, so I've uh, I've had a little bit more experience with the all you can eat than I would like. Um, <laughs> typically, <laughs> right? So t- typically, not the best sushi is going to come from an all you can eat uh, uh, joint. I've been to I've been to only a couple around town. I've I've been trying to look at reviews on uh, online and kind of see what the best is. I think it's a uh, it's a Tokyo spot. It's it's called like Tokyo something or something like that. I heard that might be the best all you can eat place. I've yet to try it. But uh, on it, there's, a, there's definitely a special place in my heart for uh, my favorite place back home. And that would be, uh, it's uh, Makuni is what it's called. And it's, uh, it's turned into a chain. It's owned by a, a gentleman that, uh, that my, my parents know. So it's, uh, it's a really good spot. But yeah, I still, I still got to get out there and kind of feel my way around. Do you have any suggestions, Chris? Sushi Rose. Sushi Rose in the Northwest. It's in a, it's in a okay. tiny strip mall. It's next to Bullies Number One. It's literally in the corner, and it's not a real big place, but it's fantastic. Love it. Okay. The joint. Uh, the joint also gets pretty good reviews as well. P H A Joint. There are two locations: one in Sparks, one in Reno. So, uh, okay. Sushi guy, but usually gets pretty good reviews. Okay, I think I've heard of uh, Sushi Rose before one other time. So I'm gonna have to go give that a, a look for sure. <laughs> Appreciate the time. Tucker Bone joining us here on NSN Daily. Reno 1868 returns to the pitch Saturday night, 7 p.m. Uh, going to be a good one at home on greater Nevada Fields turf. You can catch that right here on Nevada Sportsnet as they take on uh, Portland Timbers 2. September 5th, 7 p.m. will be the start. And Alex Margulies, our own Alex Margulies, will have the play-by-play call. Tucker, we appreciate the time, man. Stay healthy. 
Awesome. Yeah, Chris, Brian, thank you very much. Appreciate it, gentlemen. We'll have much more coming up on NSN Daily right after this. NSN Daily rolling along here on your Thursday. Chris has uh, done three stories like this, uh, top offensive players, top defensive players. Now, can't ignore the special teamers. I mean, special teams can win football games for you. Uh, going through this list, you and I agree on a few, and, and there's a couple that I, I, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with. But uh, let's start off with uh, place kicker. Um, and I, I don't think you can go wrong with Clint Stitzer here. Yeah, Nevada's actually, Northern Nevada has produced three kickers who've made it all the way up to the NFL level, which is kind of a cool deal. I mean, you wouldn't normally expect that for a position that's so specialized, but Clint is one of them. He obviously had a great career at McQueen. He was a strong safety and a kicker. He was a you know, two-time All-American kicker at McQueen, won two state championships, one state semifinal game. He had a 57-yard field goal, which at the time was the second longest in state history. Then he went on to Fresno State, where he was a two-year starter, made 71% of his field goal attempts, and then bounced around. He actually signed deals with four different NFL teams. He only ended up playing in regular season games with one of them, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. In 2010, he made seven to eight field goals, so he did his job there, um, but didn't get any opportunities after that. I think he's currently in real estate here in town, but um, you know, he definitely had a very, very nice career, both at the prep level, uh, at the college level, and then being able to playing the NFL, something that not many uh, kickers get to do just because there are only 32 jobs to go around the entire league. Uh, you've got him as a backup, and I'm, I'm sure that some of uh, his friends may be arguing for him, and that's Bert, Dirk Borgononi, who still holds the longest field goal ever kicked in high school football, 68 yards um, back in the day, the Elko native who played at Reno High School. Yeah, I think that was off a tee, maybe. I remember doing a story on it a long, long time ago, but that is crazy to be able to kick a field goal that long. Um, so, yeah, kudos to him as well. I mean, certainly could have been the, the top line on our list. I just went with uh, Clint, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, reasons because he actually, you know, uh, had a little bit longer NFL career, uh, won a couple of state championships at the high school level, but you can't go wrong with either of those two guys. Yeah, Dirk played for four teams, the NFL, the Vikings, Falcons, Browns, and the Packers. Uh, moving to uh, one of our favorite athletes that I've ever seen here. Now, let me get to the punter first. I, I saw Chris Carr, and you, your eyes light up. Uh, go to punter here, and uh, you're giving some love to somebody who played in the 60s. Yeah, Jim Darietta from Lowry. Uh, he had a tremendous career, all-state quarterback, all-state basketball player, conference record holder in the shot put, so one of those classic three-sport stars, uh, and then ended up punting for the University of Notre Dame, so a uh, really cool opportunity there. He played for Era Parsesian, uh, 1966 national championship team. He was on that team. He didn't start, but he did start two years for Notre Dame, 1968 to 69. My backup uh, Derek Jones from McQueen, then to Nevada, and then uh, did sign a deal with the Miami Dolphins, never played in a regular season game. Uh, Northern Nevada's actually never had a punter who's played in a NFL regular season game, to my knowledge. And very, very few even make it to the college level, uh, which is a little bit surprising to me, just given that we kick it at uh, elevation here, and you'd think you'd be able to maybe get some college offers. But those are the two that kind of stood out in my mind. I know Jeff Nady as well, the Douglas High grad. Uh, was a great offensive lineman at Nevada, but he's also a very good high school basketball player and also a very good high school punter. Great tidbit about Nady. I'll get that in a second. Uh, Derek Jones, I got to throw it back to Derek Jones, who, you know, a massive punter. He was a big guy. He could have played tight end. And uh, just one of the all-time interviews. He was a great guy to interview. Special teams, when we go out and cover practice, special teams guys usually special teamer who is a good interview and you can get one in the bucket early it was great to have Derek Jones just really really good guy but you mentioned 
Jeff Nady, who was all state as a punter at six foot seven, six foot eight. But uh, people forget that, that he was all state as a punter for the Douglas Tigers. Kick returner, I don't know if you can find somebody more electric that played football, you know, Tonopah North than Chris Carr. And he's, he's your, your first stringer at kick returner, Adam McQueen. Yeah, so at Boise State, he averaged 26 yards per kick return and uh, 20 yards per punt return with three touchdowns at the college level. And then he goes off to the NFL. And I think that's really where he made his name. He obviously became a very good nickelback uh, over time. But I don't know that he sticks in the NFL early on in his career, if not for that return ability. I mean, he averaged almost 25 yards per kick return. He led the NFL twice in kick return yards and, uh, you know, just had a really good return career and then was able to prove himself on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think that's something that's kind of lacking from the game now. I mean, they're really trying to de-emphasize kick returns uh, and they're moving, you know, things around. I wouldn't be shocked if they went to the XFL model um, you know, which is uh, quite a bit different in terms of kick returning. Uh, but yeah, he, he was a tremendous athlete all around and nobody, literally nobody worked harder uh, in terms of a player who came out of this area. That's why he had such a long career, but it was that, that return game that really did get his foot in the door at the NFL level. I also put uh, Dale Bates as the backup, uh, the former Reed uh, cornerback who, uh, you know, played a tremendous amount of time at Nevada. And for a very long time, he had uh, the only, so 1998, returned a kick for a touchdown against Boise State. Nevada didn't have a kick return for a touchdown again until the 2015 season when Elijah Mitchell did it in the Arizona Bowl. So you're talking about almost 17 years Nevada went without a kick return for a touchdown after Dell's 1998 return against Boise State. Yeah, Dell Bates, one of another one of those good guys who we had a chance to cover his career at Nevada. Went on, played in the NFL, had some stints, but had a stint with the Cowboys. Uh, talk about just blazing fast. I mean, he's one of those guys, if he didn't want to play football, he probably could have been a sprinter in the Pac-12 if he wanted to be, but uh, all another one of those all-around good dudes in Dale Bates. Punt return, I love this pick here. Um, JoJo Townsell out of Hug. And uh, if you know JoJo, he's a better guy off the field than he was on the field, and he was really good on the field. Yeah, he actually uh, was living down in Douglas. I'm pretty sure he still does when I was growing up in the area. His wife, a uh, very good volleyball coach for the Tigers, and yeah, JoJo had a tremendous career at all three levels as well. I mean, this is a guy who averaged uh, 24 yards per kick return in college with the touchdown. And then he, he largely did punt returns in the NFL, averaged 11 yards per punt return in his career. He returned two for touchdowns, uh, ranked top 10 in the NFL in punt return yardage, three different seasons. So uh, I thought he deserved that honor. Uh, also put Josh Barrett as the backup, as I mentioned on yesterday's show. This is a guy who returned uh, 11 balls for touchdowns his senior season at uh, Reno. So seven of them were kick punt returns. And he took back four interceptions as a return for touchdowns. So uh, very electric as well. He didn't do uh, returning uh, at the college level or at the NFL level uh, where he played for the Broncos and the Patriots. So that's why I put him as the backup. But yeah, JoJo takes the top spot for our punt return. Here's my beef. And it's not a bad one. It's, I, I only, I got to see this young man's career just start to blossom before um, he was so way too early taken from us. That's Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson, the son of Don Johnson, former Nevada defensive coach uh, on the football side, was a kick and punt returner and just an electric athlete at Wooster High School. And I can't remember anybody that was just so he'd, – he'd turn a corner and he's gone. I mean, he was just long, lean, tall kid, ends up playing baseball, and it was because he was faster from home to first than Deion Sanders was. That was the big stat I remember hearing from players and, and coaches. Uh, ends up getting – Signed and he plays with the Phillies organization, and uh, I believe it was a car accident uh, during spring training. 
where uh, where where we lost uh, Dwayne Johnson, but one of the nicest kids you would ever know. Just so approachable and and likable uh, away from the football field. But I still to this day remember him running in the all Wooster red. As much as I'm not a fan of red, come streaking down the sideline and watching him play back back in the days uh, was was pretty pretty darn special. But uh, a long snapper can't forget a long snapper. And um, yeah, uh, you're talking about. One guy that played at Nevada, one that played at San Diego State. Yeah, Wes Farnsworth, uh, my first team long snapper. So Wes is currently with the Broncos, and I was actually reading ESPN's kind of breakdown of who they think is going to make the roster, and he's basically battling right now against another rookie, and they picked Wes as winning that job eventually. So obviously a great player at Bishop Minogue. He played a running back, linebacker, was a long snapper, one of the best long snappers in the nation, had offers all over the place, Power 5 schools. Uh, was offered by Ohio State, and then uh, Brian Pauline was actually at the camp where that happened and offered Wes on the spot, and Wes took that offer and stayed at Nevada over much better, uh, bigger schools that were recruiting him. Um, and then we came an All-American here. Ended up getting cut, so didn't make that team. But sounds like he has a great chance uh, to make this year's Broncos roster. That would be awesome. And then, yeah, my backup, Parker Houston, who did do some long snapping at Reed and then was the field goal snapper for San Diego State I, I didn't have that much of an extensive list on long snapper those are kind of the only two that I knew uh, who really made it at the college level uh, so apologies if I'm missing anybody but I don't think it's uh, anybody would top West for that top spot no and West comes from such a great family and we really got to meet uh, and get to know his family over the last you know number of years where he played in Nevada and now getting that chance at the NFL one of the funny stories that I had heard about that offer from Urban Meyer is that it was kind of a take it or leave it. It was kind of a, all right, here's your offer. In 10 minutes, it's not going to be there. That was kind of what I heard happen is that, hey, if you want to be, all right, fine. And he had never been to Ohio State. He hadn't seen the campus. And then the other part that I'd heard is that he was treated like a national recruit out of Texas by Nevada and Brian Polian. That's, they lined him, dined him, did the whole thing. Like, it wasn't, you're a local kid who should be lucky to play here. We want you, and we know that you're going to be our four-year starter at long snapper. So the way you recruit a kid, even if they're in your own backyard uh, for any school across the country uh, is, is definitely a big deal. If you want to read all three of Chris's uh, very, very extensive stories on offense, defense, special teams, best all time. When it comes to Northern Nevada, you can check them out website, nevadasportsnet.com. Coming up next here on NSN daily, how much would you pay for a Mike Trout rare rookie baseball card? I'll bet you won't pay this much. That's next. It is Thursday, and that means bet or no bet, brought to you by Joey Gilbert Law. Uh, sometimes it's something on the field, off the field. Would you eat the hottest pepper on the planet? You know, that sort of thing, and uh, run it by the guys and see what they, uh, what they would do if they would bet or no bet on it. This time around, Chris, I think I, have, I, think I know what your, what your bid's going to be on this. You know, Mike Trout is, you know, he's, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. We all know that. Um, I think he's the best, best player in baseball. Um, now he has the most valuable baseball card of all time. And when I say he, he doesn't have it, somebody else has it. A rare signed Mike Trout rookie card sold at auction over last weekend for more than $3.9 million, Chris. Now that breaks the record of the Hannes Wagner card, that T206 card that was sold in 2016 for $3.12 million. 
you wouldn't pay $3.9 million for a piece of cardboard that was signed by somebody, right? Yeah, certainly. Uh, that's a no bet for me. Um, I actually think the guy who sold it lives in Vegas. So we get these emails all the time from PR people trying to get people on the show. And uh, it was for his PR person. And I think he bought it for like $400,000 on an eBay auction or something like that. And people were like, that's a, you know, stupid, you're w wasting your money. And then he turns around and sells it for this amount. He's like a pretty well-known uh, betting guy down there. Um, and I think it's the rarity of the card that made it so unique. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is in terms of the price. I mean, that's out of my price range and you, you can't really go there if you're me. And if I did have a ton of money, I probably wouldn't be spending on a baseball card anyway. But um, I think there are just like a few of these that were made. And I think that's why that might be the only one, why it went for so yeah. Actually, I do have a friend who's been getting into the baseball card business a little bit. He's been buying packs and stuff. And he recently opened uh, a uh, pack that had a signed Babe Ruth uh, card. So basically, uh, I think it's tops goes back and, and take, uh, you know, these autographs and they cut it. So it was a signed Babe Ruth envelope. So they'll cut it and they'll embed it into the middle of a card with Babe Ruth. And he sold it. I think he sold it for like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. $20,000. And you would say, okay, well, Babe Ruth, why didn't that go for so much? Yeah. Apparently Babe Ruth signed everybody's anything. He was so nice with the fans that there are so many of his signatures out there um, that they don't actually go for as much as you think, given the caliber of player that he was and the fact that he passed long ago and you can't really replicate actual authentic uh, autographs. So, uh, yeah, it, w it was surprising to me when I saw that Mike Trout number because, you know, you're like, okay, well, he's a great player, but $3.9 is a crazy amount of money. And I think it's just the rarity of that being a rookie card that the price so much. And then you see this Babe Ruth one, which my friend obviously loved it. I, he probably spent $10 for a pack and made a ton of money. But, um, you know, it, it just comes down to how rare the actual item is when you go to sell it. That's exactly what it was. It is stamped one of one. There you go. Only one card signed by Mike Trout. And I mean, yeah, if you're going to get that type of return on your investment of $400,000, uh, if you know it's going to happen, yeah, of course it's a great deal. But if I had $3.9 million and I had to spend it, I'm buying a house on Tahoe. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm doing something like that. I'm investing it. If you, ha if you had $4 million, what, what would be the bucket list thing that Chris Murray would buy? I'd probably go house as well. I'd probably go out to Hawaii uh, and buy something out there. Uh, I'd like to think I'd donate some of it to a good cause and not yeah. be so greedy about it. But, um, you know, until you actually get the money, I guess it's hard to tell. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've literally never played like the lottery. I've never went up to Gold uh, Ranch West and got a ticket or anything like that. Um, so I don't think the odds of me ever striking it rich like that will ever happen. But, yeah, I, I think vacation home is also the route that I would go. Not the whole uh, – price uh you know i probably would save some of it but um that would be the one big item that i probably do maybe pay off all my i've got three brothers and, and parents who all have homes so maybe pay off their homes as well i think uh, a vacation home in hawaii would, would do me much better than a, a mike trout baseball card. well yeah i'd actually change it from vacation home to a permanent home in hawaii because <laughs> if, if i had ever struck the lottery See ya. Uh, I might zoom in once in a while, but uh, I'm going to be on Kona or something like that. I'm going to be gone. But uh, bet or no bet every single Thursday here on uh, Nevada Sportsnet on NSN Daily, brought to you by Joey Gilbert Law. Uh, coming up next year on NSN Daily, we're excited to announce uh, another one of our golf tour shows that's coming up. We've got classic Raider games. We're going to give you the rundown of that. And the Barracuda is coming back. It's on the PGA schedule. We'll tell you uh, the change in date for the event up at Old Greenwood coming up next.
Welcome back to NSN Daily. Excited about uh, live sports coming back and, and getting to see some stuff. The Kentucky Derbies this weekend. We've got NHL playoffs going on, PGA Tour. Um, there is a, another one of these golf tour shows that uh, Alex and Shannon worked their butts off on, on doing. And there are going to be 11 airings of this show across three different stations. So Fox 11, News 4, and of course, Nevada Sportsnet, if you want to check those out. The Reno Tahoe golf tour. Uh, the first one's going to be September 5th. It's going to go, uh, there's going to be two, two airings on that uh, from uh, 8 p.m. It follows the hockey playoffs and the news on uh, Friday on that uh, September 5th. And then uh, also on September 5th, 3.30 p.m. on uh, Fox 11, if you want to check that out. Uh, Chris, being able to go out and play with Garrett Dragoyan, Coach Alford and Noodles. Um, you had Nikki B playing with Shannon Kelly for a couple of rounds with Rez. Uh, did you get out of the chair and get a chance to go play any of this? I, uh, I did not. Uh, I think we also had Cody Fajardo out there. Um, yep. I kind of saddled here with the, the kids in school and stuff, and I got to be here when the bus uh, picks them up and drops them off. So I didn't, but no, the really cool features uh, put together by Alex uh, Rez and then Brian Culpa, our director and phone pilot as well. Uh, and I know we refer you guys to the website a lot, but if you just go to nevadasportsnet.com and, and hover over the lifestyle tab, um, you know, you can go to the Reno Golf Tour. I see the Wine Wednesday stuff, Takeout Tuesdays, the road tripping segments, our EOBs. Um, so all that stuff is there. And it's really cool that not only do they have these segments that we've been showing, but then they kind of move it around and make it a full half hour show as well. And uh, I know we've got both of our first two road trippings on the website right under that lifestyle tab as well. So um, yeah, I mean, a lot of cool stuff that uh, they've been able to do this summer to Kind of generate some content it's not always the easiest thing when you don't have any local sports going on but uh we have done a real that and i didn't get out on this uh occasion but i haven't been golfing twice this summer so that's uh that's not horrible but maybe not as, as high as i would have liked it to be yeah the road trip and alex will join us uh on the show tomorrow to talk about uh continuing his trip through uh, twin falls idaho and then up into yellowstone and how uh they had some uh encounters a bit randy uh it's the rutting season while they're driving through there and you see all these videos on social media of people pulling up and these bison are butting their heads and people are trying to drive through them I'm like what are you doing man come on it's you're going head to head with a bulldozer there uh also starting this weekend and we're really excited about this is our partnership with the uh, las vegas raiders we are northern nevada's home for the Las Vegas Raiders. We will be airing the Silver and Black show. Uh, more details on that coming up. The Raiders post-game show is going to be here on Nevada Sportsnet. Four classic preseason games that we're going to run uh, with the Raiders starting on September 6th. This Sunday at 7 p.m., Super Bowl eleven. the Raiders 32-14 win. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all at 7 o'clock, Super Bowl 15 on Monday, Super Bowl 18 on Tuesday, and then 7 p.m., the 2002 AFC title game that the Raiders won. So if you're a fan of the silver and black, you've got four straight nights where you can watch some of the some of the best games in that franchise's history. Yeah, really cool that we'll be able to air those games. And uh, they are, you know, the old-timey games. And uh, I think the hope is that the Raiders will be able to go back, uh, you know, as, as they move into Las Vegas. And create some of these new memories that will be classic games 15, 20, 30 years from now. But, uh, you know, it's kind of easy to forget because there has been a bit of a rough period the last 10, 15 years um, that this was really one of the marquee franchises in the NFL, not just from a branding and marketing standpoint, 
which I think they're second to none with, with the logo and just how they branded the, the organization. But on the field, I mean, the first 25, 30 years of the NFL, there was no franchise that was better than the Raiders. I mean, Al Davis really did turn that thing into a juggernaut uh, in the AFC. And, um, you know, with his passing and his son taking over, there were some struggles. But, um, you know, they've given John Gruden a long 10-year contract. They've got a brand-new brilliant home in Las Vegas. And uh, hopefully they can, you know, turn some things around and get that thing moving in the right direction. Uh, but, yeah, it's really cool to show those old games. A, a little surprised they didn't show the Tuck game. I'm not even a Raiders fan, and that game still upsets me, given how much they got jobbed out of that one. Uh, Might have won a Super Bowl that year as well. But, um, yeah, some really cool games coming up on our airways. One last thing real quick before we go to break. Barracuda Championship has been announced that it is on the PGA Tour schedule. That's This came out on Wednesday, uh, August 5th through the 8th. But they are opposite a pretty big tournament, too. Yeah, and it was interesting because at least that schedule yesterday, and it's, it's going to be an unprecedented season. So the 2021 season, technically, September is kind of weird how the PGA tour does that but you're talking about 50 pga tour events uh and that's a that's the most since 1975 it's crazy you're talking about six majors there's gonna be two masters tournaments played within five months of each other uh, and then you're also talking about the olympics and it was that presence of the olympics that kind of made it unknown when the barracuda would be played because this last year it was supposed to be played over fourth of july weekend because of when the olympics were timed and even though there's still going to be an olympics in 2021 it is going to be pushed back to its kind of original date which is the first weekend of august uh that's right around my birthday so it's always a big weekend for me uh, but i think that's a that's a better date yeah they're opposite of the world golf championship which they've been for all 23 years they've been in existence um but you know it's not over the fourth of july weekend when people are doing a lot of family stuff so i think it'll be Hopefully, we'll have fans uh, be able to attend for the first time at Old Greenwood. But I think it's a pretty good date for the Barracuda. I mean, obviously, they'd like an unencumbered date, but I don't see that happening anytime in the near future. And always good when you make the date at all and you're on the schedule, and they're going to be for the next three or four years at least. So, uh, you know, at least they can, you know, start planning moving forward and, and just be hopeful that it'll be a very different year than 2020 when no fans were allowed out there. All right, coming up next here on NSN Daily, as we wrap up the show, saying goodbye to a Major League Baseball Hall of Famer. That's next. I want to thank Tucker Bone for coming on the show. Reno 1868 at home, 7 o'clock Saturday night. Uh, only about 40 seconds left in the show, Chris. Um, 2020 did it again. Tom Seaver at 75 is gone. Yeah, horrible. Had dementia and also had COVID-19. I mean, literally could be the greatest pitcher ever. I don't think people will put him in that category, but he's six all-time uh, in career war for starting pitchers. Uh, four of them uh, ended their careers before the 1930s. The other one is Roger Clemens, who's steroid tainted. So one of the best pitchers to ever throw a baseball and gone way too early at 75. Yeah, I recall very, very fond memories of watching Tom Seaver and thinking, you know, on is, is pretty difficult. For Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio. Thanks again to Anthony Resnick for keeping us between the lines. We'll see you on Friday.